I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time hearing the show, it's a simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who help shape who we are. And we want to hear about the educators who've inspired you and the people in your community who deserve a spotlight. Every educator we have on this podcast, whether a teacher, a coach, or a professor, is nominated by the folks who listen. So please be a part of the show and tell us about the person who comes to your mind. Email us with nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today on the show, University of Illinois music professor and music producer Lamont Holden, a.k.a. The Letter L Beats. Lamont and I talk about how teaching has influenced his creative process, helping students understand the business of music, writing a hip-hop fight song for U of I, the first of its kind at any Big Ten school, and what it means for the Urbana-Champaign community, and so, so much more. That's all coming up. You know, in my conversation with Lamont, we talked about reassessing old traditions and beginning to start new ones, like the hip-hop anthem. Before we dive into that chat, I have another story for you about traditions. Almost two years ago, Washington, D.C.'s NFL team changed its name. It had been deemed racist by indigenous groups for decades. And many Illinois schools still use that mascot and other native mascots. And there are a few that may be beginning to move away from them. On a spring evening in 2021, the Friday night lights are bright in Morris. A massive banner on the school right next to the football stadium reads, Morris football, pride, integrity, tradition. Right next to the sign, fans pour in through a gate adorned with a cartoon of a native person's face above a name. It's the same as the former name of the Washington Pro Team because it's considered offensive or refer to it as our skins. Cars in the parking lot have stickers with big bold letters saying our skin country. Just before the football game, the Morris marching band takes the field, led by a teenage girl wearing face paint and what's supposed to be a native headdress and garb. The girl's parents are the mayor of Morris and a member of the school board. In January, that school board voted to remove the R-Skins mascot over the course of several years. Ted Trujillo was the only Native person on Morris's recent mascot committee that recommended the action. The Morris resident is a registered member of the Passamaquoddy tribe. He says he's been trying to get the school to change its name since he went there in the 1980s. The committee was tasked with providing the school board a report on whether they should change the nickname. They brought in research from groups like the American Psychological Association about the harm caused by Native mascots. These mascots create a hostile learning environment for Native youth. It instills prejudices. You know, a lot of this is tied into other issues like the high suicide rate. It diminishes self-esteem when a Native youth sees their traditions and customs that they've always held sacred, being mocked and used for nothing but entertainment. The committee dug into the history of the word arskin. It was used to refer to native skin color and the scalps of natives turned in for bounties. They came to the conclusion that the word is a racial slur and its use should not only be retired at the school, but also that the use of the word is a violation of the student handbook that prohibits derogatory slurs. Even though the board voted to change the mascot by 2025, Trujillo says he's concerned that future board members will reverse the decision. Just 15 minutes from Morris, the Manuka Indians are also considering their native mascot. Julie Dye is a Potawatomi activist and educator. She says when schools have native mascots, it's not just harmful to their students. It spreads to other schools they interact with. Opposing fans at a recent Manuka sports game held up scalp the R-skin signs. 
John Kane, a member of the Mohawk tribe, is a radio host and native educator. He was asked by Minooka to give a presentation to their board's committee and answer questions. For Kane, it's pretty simple. We're not your mascots. The most common defense Kane hears from schools seeking to preserve their mascot is that it's meant to honor natives. It's not just not true because we aren't honored. But the reality is we were never considered, you know, as a people when they chose those mascots. They created these images and they recreate the characteristics, not because they represent us, because they want those characteristics to represent them. They'll liken, you know, football as, you know, some sort of battlefield. Kane points out that hundreds of native tribal nations have passed resolutions opposing native mascots. And hundreds of schools have chosen to move away from those mascots. One thing that confuses Kane the most is that these are schools places of education. You would think that a school's responsibility should be to teach fairness and to break down these stereotypical images that are cast on people. But that's not what these schools are doing. They are they are promoting a stereotype. He says you don't see mascots of other ethnic groups used as Friday night entertainment. Minooka has yet to decide whether they're going to retire the Indian mascot. They did change the name of their school newspaper from Peace Pipe Chatter to Nook News and say they're considering changing the name of their at-risk student program, now called Project Indian. In 2019, Maine became the first state to ban the use of indigenous mascots. In Illinois, State Representative Maurice West of Rockford introduced legislation that would have required schools to get permission from a tribe within 500 miles to use a native mascot. They also would have had to offer a course on, quote, Native American contributions to society. West says that bill has been sidelined for now in favor of one proposing a Native American curriculum for the state schools. That plan was shelved in committee this spring, but West says this summer he's putting together a working group of advocates, including federally recognized tribe members, to help craft the bill. Our name is from a Native American tribe, so if any state in this union should appreciate and celebrate our Native American brothers and sisters, it should be Illinois. Native educators like Julie Dye and John Kane say more education could be good, but they're skeptical. They hope the curriculum doesn't just glorify or justify the assimilation of Native people or become a way for schools to continue using offensive Native mascots. All right, now it's time for my conversation with music professor and producer Lamont Holden, the letter L beats, and we start by talking a little University of Illinois basketball, if you'll indulge us briefly. I also see you got the, the Kofi jersey on now. Yeah, you see it. I love it. I, 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 I was going to bring this up because I was, I was watching some of the videos on the YouTube channel and stuff, and yeah, I saw yeah. there was one where um, your, uh, your collaborator, Jarrell, had on the... Uh, had the number 11 jersey on. Yeah. And I saw there was another one where you had the number 11 jersey on. And I started thinking about, you know, it's D Brown jersey, right? I can't remember, because so many people have worn it. I think so. I want to say I got to double check, because D Brown, there's, you know, he's in the um, the little Hall of Fame in the yeah. arena. So I know there's a picture of D Brown going like this. You know what I mean? So I can't I can't remember what number. I think it's 11. I, I, I double check, because that's immediately what mine thought of, because I love that, you know, 04, 05 Illinois team, you know, oh, you Luther know, you're not graduated. You're not graduating in 04, right? Yes, that's why I was going to ask you that. And yeah, hang yeah, on, yeah. hang on, hang on. I also realized I went to my closet, I still got the D. Will, the, the Darren Williams jersey. I got it. All right, I got a story for you. Quick story, Go. right? You go by, right? Now they call it the Ark, right? When I was okay. a they called it MP, right? So yes. go to pick up. And so, you know, like guys who play in the league who play for real, like when they go to a pickup game, they're just picking spots, working on the shot, right? They're not even yeah, going yeah. hard, right? 
So Darren, I'm, I'm the only one as tall as Darren, right? So he's checking up the ball. I remember he passed it to somebody, they passed it right back to him, right? He gets the ball like this, right? I rip the ball, take it down court, right? I'm just past the half court line about to get my layup. I hear him go, I hear Darren from behind me, like in the distance go, oh, he want to play for real. <laughs> Darren, I expected that he chase you down LeBron style. Nope. nope. <laughs> he just lets me get my layup. He comes back and just starts shooting the lights. I'm talking, I didn't, we didn't get another point after that. <laughs> Oh, that's a perfect. That's ex that's exactly what you hear about when you start really playing with pros. Where you, yeah, like you said, they're picking their spots, but they're like, okay, we're doing this, then we'll do this. <laughs> nope. Dang, that's because like, you played football, right? Yeah, I played football. Um, I played from two thousand oh two. I played on that um, that oh one Sugar Bowl squad, Big Ten Championship Sugar Bowl team. Okay, that's awesome. What position do you play? Um, I play defensive end and linebacker. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> I had to bring that up because I, I found I was like I for sure have that Darren Williams jersey. That's awesome that you got to play with him. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy, man. Now, I just remember that time. It's kind of weird because you know the way we set the roll up out. We hoped that this thing was going to roll out into them going to a Final Four. You know, we love I know them anyway. So you know, but it's just bringing back all those memories because I remember. I had just graduated because I stayed like an extra semester, right? And so yeah. I, was dating, I was dating somebody that was still in the school. And I remember they came up and we were watching a game in a bar. I was on, I was living on the north side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And whenever, like, when, when Arizona went up like six points that, that Saturday night, I was like, all right, this is over. We walked back home. Coming back into the crib, like, Darren's hitting that three. And it was like, yo, we about to win this thing. Like, just those, those kind of memories, man. It's just, you know, football's always been so sober. Basketball's really our thing. So that's what, that's what you really – you really look back on, you get excited about, and you have those kind of fond um, reminiscences, reminiscences of. And that North Carolina game. You know, Sean May is just – I've hated that guy ever since. <laughs> so I saw I saw Sean May literally a year later at Little Five. Because <laughs> you know he's from Indiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's such like a, one of those college basketball style players where they're like 6'9", kind of playing centers that like that, that doesn't really exist in the league anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian Cook always had a better shot than him, in my opinion. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish that we could be here talking about the Final Four run, too. But yeah, but we're, we're still here. We're talking about the anthem. We're talking about the fight song that you guys worked on. And I think I saw on one of the releases that it's like, you know, the first, you know, rap fight song to represent a Big Ten school, right? Yeah, I, I looked around. I, I didn't see too much. You know, um, I grew up in Columbus, actually. Um, when I was in sixth grade, we had to play Hang On Sloopy. You know, so I'm, I'm very aware of Big Ten a band and musical traditions, but to my knowledge, yeah, after kind of looking around doing some research, we're the first hip hop fight song in existence. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I got really quick before we dive a ton into like, you know, how that all happened, how you got started, how you worked on it. I was doing some research today and I just spent like a half hour or like just <laughs> listening to your beats that are on YouTube, <laughs> which I mean, like for anyone that, that like hasn't heard, like you had that really cool like West Side Gun, hip hop soul type beat in there. Oh, was, you did your I research, like, research. I, I did. I got. Uh, listen, this is this is my job, man. I I got it. I got it. They push a T one. They had the Mina type one. There's some. So I was listening to all that stuff, and I wanted to ask you a little bit, just like about your your own artistic process. Yeah. And I've I've over the especially during the pandemic, I've really like tried to get in touch with my own creativity and start to play music and stuff like that. I had never played an instrument before. I started playing piano and messed around with that. And so I was curious for you, like when you're making beats. Is it something where 
you know, you go when the inspiration strikes and you know, you know, that's why I need to sit down? Or are you the type of person that's like, I can't be waiting all day for the inspiration to come. I got to sit down and put in the work and then hopefully the inspiration catches up with me. Like, how does it usually work for you? I think it's a little bit of both because I think yeah. ideally you want to like just be inspired and that happens sometimes and you just go. But the problem with that is one, sometimes you're inspired and you're in the middle of something else, right? Um, but then the other thing that happens is, you know, there's a discipline to the craft too. And, you know, if I haven't been inspired in two weeks, I can't not be in a doll for two weeks because I teach it for God's sakes, right? So I have to be <laughs> constantly practicing, you know what I'm saying? So there's definitely times when I, I sit down and force myself to do it. But also, you know, when I have the opportunity, if I'm not inspired, because you, you know, um, there's just certain principles and rules and ethi, ethos that I live by multiple we'll, we'll take you. Ethi sounds great. I don't know if that's a word or not, but we'll take um, it. You know, over the years, it's kind of like, you know how on Limitless, when he takes the pill, like everything he ever learned rushes back to him, right? Yeah. I try to keep just a certain things. And, and Jay-Z had that Fade to Black uh, movie. It's been like, what's the year I graduated? So it's been like 18 years since that movie came out. But he said, don't ever force the music. When you force it, like you could just tell, like, I, I'll go back and listen, cause I catalog my beats. I put, you know, I'll put um, the key and the BPM and then I'll put them into a folder of the month by the year. And then I'll put them into a folder by the year. And so I go back and I'll be listening to beats. Like, oh, I forced that. Oh, cause here's another thing on uh, Netflix. They got this special, um, you know, Netflix explain and they go, uh, it's create, it's the mind explain. Yeah. And then there's a one on creativity. And uh, I can't remember who was talking, but they said, it's gar it's uh it's gardening, it's not architecture, right? Mm. When you grow a beat, it feels different than when you build a beat. You know what I'm saying? Because you build it, you just follow on a plan, right? It's uninspired in the whole nine. Paint by numbers, right? right. Yeah. That's kind of when you sit down just because you gotta sit down and you think it's a discipline thing, that's what happens, right? And that's okay if you're still trying to get but you know what I mean? And still, like you can't Kobe can't go days without shooting the ball because he's gonna get rusty, you know what I'm saying? So right. that technical practice in, but you might not love that practice. But then I go sit and listen to something where I grew it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could tell I took my time. I need to spend more time in that headspace. And when it all shakes out, what that really means is I, I need to spend more time being inspired and not just doing it because I need to do it. That's all. You know, I was just listening to actually another podcast with one of my favorite artists, a multi-instrumental guy named Andrew Dost. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how he, he teaches like, music classes, too. And he was saying that one thing he always tells his students is like, you know, you, you got yourself a great idea. Like you've got like I've got a really good idea for a song. I'm going to sit down and do that. He's like, don't stop there because your 11th idea and like your 11th song that you do is probably going to be better than that first idea is. Yeah. And I think, you know. I think nobody wants to get caught without something. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You create something, you have nothing. Once you create something, at least you have something, right? In the middle of it, you don't know what you have. You know what I'm saying? And I think that once you have something that being, you know, there's so much anxiety before and in the middle that once you have something, what you what you want to get far away from is that anxiety, right? Of yeah. like not having a good idea or not having something dope that you're excited about working on. It takes but the weight I, off the shoulders a little bit. Right. And yeah. I try to live in that space where like, I'm okay scrapping something that felt like an amazing idea 10 minutes ago or even a day ago and saying, mm, I'm not feeling it no more. Because then the next thing I move on to becomes that, ooh, I just did that happened to me this weekend. I was working on three or other beats. I was like, this ain't it. Put them in. Because like I'll have, I know what what makes a beat. Once I have the melody, the top line melody for the hook, the top line melody for the verse, and the top line melody for the pre-hook, that's going to be a beat. And it used to be once I had that, I wouldn't even, you know, I'm going to finish that. 
Now I'll just go put that in there. Go put that in the in the project folder. What'll happen is that might be there for a year or there's some stuff I haven't even gone to look back at yet, right? But it's because I'm not afraid to say, nah, not that next. I've made yeah. enough beats where I'm like, well, I'm gonna make a dope beat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I wanna make the one, you know what I mean? I love, and Lamont, do you feel like being a teacher and specifically teaching, you know, the art of beat making, has that changed the way that you do it yourself? Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, cause, cause there's something else that happened simultaneously while I was learning how to teach myself how to make beats, right? So I think I started making beats in 2007. You know, I had a, a myriad of equipment in that time. But in 2010, I started my master's program, um, get my education or get my master's in education. Mm. Well, that changed the way I thought about teaching. And once you change the way you, you, you think about teaching, it changes the way you think about learning, right? And it changed the way I think about teaching myself and how I get my practice. Like over time, ultimately what it did, it helped me divorce my emotions from the process. You know what I'm saying? And to get really comfortable in this space, right? Where I could teach in front of people or make beats in front of people. It's something I used to be really nervous about. You know what I'm saying? Um, also, you know, there's a, you, you know, teacher's lounge. I don't, why is this, why is this called teacher's lounge? I'm curious. <laughs> well, first of all, we couldn't come up with a better name, but no, but first of all, it's like, so uh, I'm an education reporter. So we do like lots of just like education, you know, feature news type stories. And then we, uh, the idea for the show is that, you know, we have, every educator we have on here is is nominated. So like, we've got people that did like email us and say like, this person is doing really awesome things you need to talk to talk to them about. And so it feeling like less of like a, you know, hardline news story and more of a like, hey, man, we're gonna sit back and have a conversation. That's why it's the teacher's lounge because we're just hanging out. And so I asked that because I talk about Bloom's taxonomy, like the stuff that I learned when I was getting my master's, I talk about every day, like the stuff yeah. that I think is important to what I do. Like I use the word exemplar a lot. And people go, what's an exemplar? Well, to me, it's very common, but I realize if you're not in the education circle, um, but I talk about Bloom's taxonomy all the time, right? And so I have to explain this like a lot because people don't know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm yeah. talking to a bunch of teachers, cool. Mostly Bloom's taxonomy is what has affected me as a producer because I recognize where I am on that, you know, on that scale or whatever, right? And then I tell, cause I think the students don't be believing me. Like we had a student come visit last week who's a junior in high school and he's thinking about coming here and majoring in music production. And so I had him come up to the front of the class. He plugged his laptop in and pressed play on his Ableton session. And so I turned around the class and said, y'all know this, I tell you this all the time. I said, when y'all judge him and give him feedback, you're actually learning at a higher level yourselves, right? When I, for beat making one, I don't grade the beats anymore. I hire a TA to do that, right? It's usually somebody who's a really good beat maker and wants to take more beat making. They'll usually do a combination of independent study and they'll come visit with me for like an hour. But then the other part of the job is they got to come to class and grade the beats. Grading level one beats is tedious and it's annoying, okay? <laughs> but for somebody who's a good beat maker, who's maybe hasn't, you know, been doing it as long, that's a great way to get better without even making beats. You know what I'm saying? So thinking, yeah. thinking critically and clinically about how, yeah. you know, what is good and you know, what is working. Yeah. Cause I actually have actually, hold on. But I have this thing called what is beat making where it's like, you know, I'm a teacher, right? So I lend a pedagogy to, to what we do. That's right? another gr great teacher word. Oh yeah. Pedagogy. Right. <laughs> yeah. But awesome. this is like, you know, I, I respect Ninth Wonder so much, right? And he's one of the reasons not only that I thought of myself as a producer, but also as a professor. I respect Henny, the business, so much um, from, um, he, he, you know, he, um, the, the production duo, the business, 
you know, uh, my president is black for Jeezy, uh, every, every, uh, every girl in the world for Lil Wayne and Drake. And so I respect the hell out of them because not only as producers, but as, um, you know, higher academic professionals, they allowed me uh, to envision myself. To my knowledge, I don't know that they've broken down and, and, and given a pedagogical breakdown of what beat making is. And so, you know, I try to share this wherever I go because this is how I have to think about this. And then not only the craft of beat making, but also music business, thinking about that in the same way. Yeah, I know you guys have classes about specifically that and like compensation, all that stuff. Well, yeah, it's crazy because, you know, um, so I used to be the co-host of this podcast called Producer Grind, right? Um, and they're still going. Um, you know, they, they, they were calling it at one time the Breakfast Club uh, for producers, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, their, cor- their current format, you know, I helped them establish that. And so, right. um, you were know. Were you the Charlemagne? It's funny because I, I never thought of myself as a Charlemagne because I'm not yeah. a comedian, right? Right. I'm, I'm observant and I know how to act. Like, you know how, like, there's a thing you're not supposed to say? Yeah. I realize I'm Charlemagne because I figure out how to say the thing you're not supposed to say in a way that makes everybody comfortable. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> so I don't know if you knew. Uh, yeah, because I interviewed J.W. Lucas. And he was the one that had said something nuts about Breonna Taylor. Right. And he got made donkey of the day by Charlemagne. The clip of us when I was interviewing him, when he tried to say that J. Cole was race baiting and I checked him in front of everybody because everybody was afraid to check him. It went viral. It was on Royce the Five Nines page. It was on Brother Rizzo Islam's page. I'm you kidding. know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, it, it was nuts. It was nuts. Um, but I guess all that is to say is like, um, you know, the purpose of that podcast was you want to get from in your bedroom making beats to making beats for the major artist that's on the radio, right? In a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's really what I do. But I also do it with the mind of a teacher. And, you know, that means you're going to backwards design, you're going to unpack things, you're going to break things down. And so that's why I ended up doing end up doing the things I do in a way that's not even like the people that I admire or that that in, inspire me and encourage me to start doing it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I know you host some some shows now, too. I was going to later on. I, I wanted to ask you about the campus culture, stuff like that, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But I mean, let's start talking about the stuff that you've been working on. I mean, specifically with this anthem, too. I mean, tell me about how that all got started, how you got involved, all that stuff. Yeah, the anthem is a it's, it's a 10 year story when you really, really think about it, right? I guess there's kind of two stories to it. There's the most recent story within the last two years, and then there's the 10 year story, right? I would say the 10 year story started with an artist I was working with in Chicago named Young General, and mm-hmm. he had a song called White Sox Fitted. And he um, got a feature on it with Mickey Halstead and Twan Gap. If you know Chicago hip hop, you know those are some big names. I think Mickey Halstead is actually uh, managing G Herbo right now. Mm. And so, um, when he did the song, they did a video over at Leaders Clothing Store, which is, you know, big for the culture in Chicago. Um, and then the Sox found out about it and he put Lee England, a black violinist, on the song. And they invited uh, Young General and Lee out to play the song at the seventh inning stretch, right? Now, ironically, it wasn't my beat. Um, he got the, I was selling, we were in the studio and I was selling a piece of equipment. No, I was buying a piece of equipment. And a guy that was selling it to me, uh, you know, this is 10 years ago. So it's not like you found, now you find producers all the time. But it's not like you just find a producer all the time. So my artist was like, well, tell him to come in and play some beats. Is he here? All right, cool. So he came in, he plays that beat. And he winds up, you know, making it White Sox fitted. I was like, man, I really want that. How can I do that for myself? And I'm just thinking about the sports angle. I was like, wait a minute, I'm an alumni of the University of Illinois. We have a very concentrated audience of folks that love their sports teams, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. the West. It gets cold in the middle of winter. Like, you know, this is a great place because I think, you know, Sometimes I think I want, I want to say in 2016, I moved to Atlanta, right? 
know, I've been making beats since 07 and I'm starting to have this idea It's 2012, right? Um, there's a there's a uh, former basketball player who was rapping. I was at his house one day and he was making some songs, but he was telling me about how he don't really got to work a job. You know, he pretty much makes a living just being a former Illini, right? And I was just thinking about the power of that, right? Now, uh-huh. I didn't play as much as he did. Like, you know, he's he's him. He's a big name. I wasn't, right? And so I was just really thinking about that intersection. And in 2016, when I moved to Atlanta, I had been making beats for like nine years. But being in Atlanta really gave me what I would call my master's degree in the music industry, where it taught me really, what does it mean to monetize music? You're not selling music. Actual, in all actuality, you're selling media, right? Yeah. So they've already kind of consolidated everything to this phone. What I'm selling is culture, right? And so we did an iteration of the song and I turned it in, I want to say summer 2015, I turned it into the director of basketball operations while I was still living here. Yeah. But it was based on, you know, um, Illinois, the Illini, the Illinois tribe is a real tribe, right? Mm. We used to have some traditions around our athletic programs that while it felt like they were solemn and authentic, were just made up. You know yeah. what I, mean? I, I was going to ask you about that too, where we're talking about like, you know, like why now, like why we need this change in, in culture and all that. I was like, I wonder if that has something to do with it. So about 10 years ago, now I think it's been 10 years, we got rid of the chief. There is yeah. no, it's not representative of a real tribe. It's made no. up. Um, the, the Native American, uh, rather the stereotype and the trope that Disney made up that has, um, that, that now is the, the, is the, is the, has a legacy in the Atlanta Braves and the chop that is they found to be uh, racist and inappropriate there. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff is done at Florida State. And so we mm-hmm. certainly we're a land grant institution. I believe if you're of Native American descent, you you can attend you attend the school for free. OK, um, we listen to our Native American brothers and sisters and we got rid of the chief, the representation right. that happened at halftime and then the symbol. Right. There's probably some kind of light divide here in town based on this, right? I've done some radio shows, some other media, right? Um, but the previous song I did was based on that song, right? Right. It had, you know, we were just talking about basketball, whoever was on the team at that time. Well, that song was short-sighted for so many reasons. One, because I used this thing that we eventually got rid of and is, is deemed to be culturally appropriate. Two, because I was just talking about the basketball team. I didn't rap. I got a local rapper. Yeah. Three, I didn't have the full vision and I wasn't a professor at that time. Right. While I was in Atlanta, I got hired as an adjunct. Right. And then I got and then living in Atlanta during the pandemic, I got the full time gig. But I didn't move back because, um, again, we we're still in the pandemic. But once I got hired, I said so then literally I get hired in November. The chancellor sends out our chancellor, Robert Jones, is a black man. Yeah. He sends out um, a notice talking about how we need new school traditions. Right. Because you got to think there's we're, we're kind of letting go of some older things, maybe embracing some newer things. But along with that, this is in the same year we had a pandemic where the world uh, came out to show their support of black lives and 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 show their their um, disdain against the murder of George Floyd. Right. And in a year where people are saying corporately, we're going to examine who's on our board and where we give money and make sure that, you know, uh, black folks um uh, uh, livelihood is being honored and we're you know helping people elevate to positions where they wouldn't normally have gotten those chances i think that's a lot of what was the context of this this message that the chancellor sent out right right well it, it reminds me of uh, really quick it, i think in one of the releases too there was a quote from uh your, your, your clive or jarell young right yeah, Jarell young and he had a quote in there talking about how other kids from the community looking at him and 
you know, saying that they could be, and then the one quote he says, they're like, that the Illini anthem just broke an old cycle and created a new one all at once. That really stuck out to me, the way he said that. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting, like, uh, Adam J. Cruz, Dr. Adam J. Cruz, he's a, uh, uh, a professor of music education here. He's the one who recruited me. You know, because yeah. you know, because we, we also have an ISYM hip hop camp that we do in the summer. But I'll talk about that later. You know, he and I. Co-founded. I got that noted down. I got that noted right, down too. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so he told me. He said the Illini anthem is a promise. He said that when you arrive here, no matter your culture, no matter your ethnic background, no matter where you came from, socioeconomically, that we have a place for you, and we're going to honor your culture. And particularly in the school of music, we're going to honor the music that you want to make that is important to you culturally, right? after we watch all these talented musicians from Chicago bypass us to go to HBCUs. Great, go to your HBCUs, but you know, we want black students in our band too, that, you know, play, that are great players and also can bring something new uh, to the fold. We don't, this is only the tip of the iceberg of what this thing can really be. You know what I'm saying? Literally, when you think about it, the song has only been out for like seven months. The video has only been out for like a week and a half. You know what I mean? What's this thing mm-hmm. gonna be in two years or in five years or in 10 years? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a lot more than music. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys got to perform it at halftime of one of the basketball games too, right? So, yeah. So we performed it first. Well, first at halftime of the opening uh, football game uh, against Nebraska, we performed it at halftime, uh, which ushered in some new brand traditions. It was cool because it was actually, actually, they celebrated the Big Ten Championship team. Literally, they celebrated the team. I opted not to go out. Um Cause I know who I am. I know my, like at that time when I was a teenager coming, if somebody would have had the program that I had now available to me, mm-hmm. I would have did that. I wouldn't have played football. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? But um, we had a chance. So I watched the team. I slapped hands with guys. All right, man, good seeing y'all, man. And then they announced us. We ran out on the field. We're on the jumbotron. Everybody's taking videos. And then, um, you know, again, at the halftime of the, uh, one of the uh, basketball games back in, back in uh, November, when we played Rio Grande Valley. Uh, which is really cool. Um, you know, Kofi had been out for three games, you recall. So it was his first game back. And, you know, the place was a madhouse. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have Orange Crush, unfortunately. But um, it was a great experience. I really had a lot of fun. And I think uh, the folks who care about Illini Nation are really taken to it. Yeah, I think I saw you say in one of the videos, too, that your son got to be there to see it, too. Yeah, I was excited. So my son lives That's got to make it even more special, right? No, nah, listen. So listen. So my son, he, my son lives in Bloomington. He goes to University High School in Bloomington, which is right on Illinois State's campus, right? Mm-hmm. And he lived here for a time. And every time he's here, I'm always getting him on campus. We're doing this. We're doing that. Yeah. And so for me, because he wants to go to Ohio State, he's going to school on Illinois State's campus. So now I'm like competing because, you know, that's where he was born. His grandparents lived there. So now I'm yeah. competing to make him in Illini. You know <laughs> You're I mean? a recruiter now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we got that shot on top of the State Farm Arena, right? You know what I'm saying? My son, um, his stepdad works for State Farm. He comes home one day. He's like, hey, Shad knows Jake from State Farm. I had to be like, the dad performed on top of the State Farm Center. Now what? You know what I mean? <laughs> Reminds me of the, the story about Dave Chappelle t- taking his son to see Kevin Hart. Like, I do this too. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, it, was, it was definitely a special moment. It was a special moment for us, for sure. Yeah, and like we, we mentioned earlier, I mean, you guys are doing a lot more on campus with the uh, both your you know campus culture show, both with the the, the summer camp. I, specifically, I was I was I was curious to ask before we get into the summer camp about hosting that campus culture show, since we've talked a lot about kind of building these tra- new traditions. You know, we've really spent, like I said, especially during the pandemic, re-examining our, ourselves and trying to make sure that we're lifting up you know voices. Talk talk to me about that show, how it got started, and everything. Yeah, it's crazy because when I left Producer Grind Podcast, it was like everybody expected me to do something else because I was so good at that. 
right? Um, what I learned at Producer Grind Podcast was I'm good at this job, but this is somebody else's house. Mm. Um, I got an audition to do a show on, on PBS in Atlanta. The show just never got off the ground. And my mom used to always say, like your grandfather been saying for years, you got a special voice. And I can tell I have a propensity for leadership, right? So I'm just trying to figure out how to make that make sense. And then, you know, I have this podcasting class. And so I talk to you, there's always got to be an exemplar, right? See, here's the thing about Alina Anthem. If I tell you to come to University of Illinois because I can show you how to get into the commercial music industry, I got to be able to prove that, right? So mm -hmm. we got Alina Anthem, it's running up on Spotify. As soon as admin, I love my admin, they get off their butts and get it on uh, Apple Music, but that's a whole other conversation, right? But I'm showing them, hey, we running this up. We know how to do this. We know how to do promo. We know how to make a dope video. We can show you how to do this. I got to be able to have this exemplar already. Well, campus culture, not only is it a way to amplify voices for the culture on this campus and campuses around the world, right? But also it's, it's, it's an exemplar on how to do a podcast, right? And I tell these good folks behind me, the type of mic you use is just as important as your ethos for why you decide to get on the mic in the first place, right? And so my thought process is, you know, in the last five years, mass media is changing, right? And there, there have been spaces carved open for black folks, right? And so you're talking about our school where traditionally black higher academia is gonna tell you, you need to go find a career that's stable in finance or be a lawyer or be a teacher or something like that. I'm saying, no, the times have changed. We can control our narratives. We can be uh, creatives, we can be entrepreneurs and we can be content creators and provide for ourselves doing that. I've watched it with my own two eyes down in Atlanta for four years, right? And so I feel like I'm bringing this kind of new wave to campus where it's like, you know, new black media is my job to represent that and create and facilitate that and create spaces for um, students on campus. So um, we did it for first semester and, you know, it was cool. I realized that when you have a podcast that's based on guests, that's just, that's, that's going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. Preaching um, the choir. Yeah. And, and yeah. I hate, cause you know, you book guests, right? People flake mm -hmm. out, you might pay somebody, they might not show up in you know in the podcasting mood if you will right i've watched i've done interviews man i'm gonna just say this man chase the money he a producer from chicago I love chase the money when we turned the camera on he was a different person the, yeah. the camera turned off yo what's up like yo why wouldn't you why'd you make our interview so hard because it's the industry they gotta be a certain way you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. And so like i'm like all right this can't be a guest thing right right I need a co-host and so God, that's so smart. I talk to people about this all the time, that co-host thing. That uh, You hit on something, right? Because like you said, hard to book guests, but like with, with our show, it's different because it's like people are are nominating guests for our show. So on one hand, it's it's nice because you're like, okay, out of my hands. But then also you're like, oh my God, out of my hands. <laughs> like what if no one sends anybody in? Then what am I going to do? Because I there is no co-host. There's no one to lean on to. So yeah, I, I always talk about that. Like, damn, if I could redo that again, I got to get a co-host in there in case something falls through. Because I've been there where you, you, it's, you know, two o'clock we're starting the interview and then you're you're sitting there waiting for the Zoom call to open and no one's coming. Well, like we interviewed uh, Black Greek Council, right? I was yeah. to just interview the one person that showed up because nobody, here's the other thing, people don't understand pre-production. Like a young lady corrected me on camera and I'm just thinking, I'm gonna eat that, but you didn't come to pre-production. You didn't answer my pre-production emails either. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So there was like 10 uh, people in that interview. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so a couple of things happened. One, I didn't want to rely on a guest, and I realized a couple of the episodes, while they were interesting, they were drier than they need to be. I needed some personality next to me. And so there's a young lady named Anaya Jones who's a rising star here. And I mean, she's she's I I I've been trained to no talent when I see it. She finna be out of here. 
And, you know, we, we have been following each other. She's in the, I think she's doing sports business, but she mm-hmm. also, I think she dabbles in marketing. Um, but she reached out and she was like, Hey, I love what you're doing. I was wondering if you could, uh, produce a theme song for my podcast called you're wrong, sir. Um, and it's about, you know, uh, black women in the sports and sports business spaces. Right. And it was interesting because, you know, I, you know, I have ambitions. I always have like a list of guests, right. You know, we have some awesome alumni here at the school, including Sean Evans, uh, you know, the creator of hot ones and of course, yeah. one Taylor Rooks. She goes, Oh, I got Taylor's number. I'm going, no, 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 no. What? No, no. <laughs> let me I say, let me interview you first. And I said, we'll get to that. And I was just sitting on another. And I started watching her podcast. I was like, oh, she's good. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, she's a star. And she's she's so young. I go, she needs to be my, I need to ask her if she'll be my co-host. Because now we don't have to worry about guests. We can just chop it up with each other. And then, you know, because after the first episode wrapped, the minute the, the uh, cameraman hit stop, he goes, oh, my God, that was so good. And he'd already filmed four previous ones, right? And so I said, I knew, okay, we got chemistry on camera. Mm-hmm. We can work it out so I'm not the creepy old man. I'm more like a big brother type. You know what I'm saying? That's like our good. first issue was about she works for the um, the athletic department. She's a she works for the, the women's basketball team. And they were talking about how one of the common things when women are being interviewed for men's teams is they ask them if they're dating somebody on the team. And she said that bothered her. And there was a conversation. We determined that to be a Title IX violation. Basically, our first episode was about Title IX violations. But it was a great discussion. But it was a lot more lively. You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, you know, I'm happy because it really is, I always, I put my space, I put myself in a space where I'm always going to be able to pivot in everything I do. I just learned in Atlanta, you have to pivot quickly and go. That's it. Yeah. There's no, you know, him in the hall, you got to pivot quickly and go. So once I knew it, I, I brought her on there and it was almost like a, this, this change. So then now her podcast is doing well. My podcast is doing well. We've all been so busy. We haven't been able to podcast in a while. We're going to pod on Monday. Um, but it's like, it's, it's. It's everything I say it's going to be. It's a voice for the culture. It's something different. It's a dope content piece. It represents the University of Illinois. It's actually a vehicle for the Alana Anthem because we use that as a theme song, right? And now with my co-host, we're actually amplifying uh, Black voices. We're amplifying the voices of women. And it's just dope. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I- I'm proud of myself for leaving myself room to pivot and make it something into that. And I credit Anaya um, and our engineering staff and our and our um, our behind the camera staff for making it something beautiful. And thank you for watching, by the way. Absolutely. And you you mentioned the you know your son. You're trying to get him to go to to U of I. I wanted to ask a little bit about the the, the youth camp, and I saw some video from that too. It's you guys got a straight up concert going on too. Like it's not just like come in here and we're going to show you the basics of, of how to use these programs. You guys have like a straight concert going on. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so we're going into our fifth year. It would have been our sixth year if not for COVID. And it literally started with myself, Dr. Adam J. Cruz and five students in one classroom. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we've been able to grow it, but cause, cause here's what's crazy. We have a rock camp, right? Which is pretty robust. And they put on a rock show at the end of camp. And so we're like, all right, we're going to put on a hip hop show. We have our canopy club here is legendary. Snoop's performed here. Wu-Tang has performed here. Maroon 5, Tanache, you know, many, many artists. And so they get a chance to get on that stage in the week and they perform in front of the whole camp and all their parents and everything like that. Um, and this year, what you saw was last year when we only had basically our Illinois uh, summer youth music program is a hundred year tradition from show choir to um, black chorus to piano camp to heart camp, 
right? Right, like he, students come for a week, they stay in the dorms, eat the dorm food, get to meet students from all over the state and all over uh, the, the uh, country, and they get special instruction in this craft. But we give them the same thing for hip hop, you know what I'm saying? But the idea being, all right, you wanna be an artist? We're gonna help you write your own song. If you need help learning how to rap, we're gonna do that. We, we have experts to get you ready. We invite in guest artists. Um, we got it. So we have one adult for every act. So in my act, it might be one kid, it might be four kids um, and their own original beats, their own original lyrics, and they do a show. Um, we hired DJ Silky to do a backing track. And then we even have, because last year was just us, but on a regular year, we have all the camps. We even have an elective time where like the kid from Harp Camp might come and learn how to DJ. And if yeah. he likes it so much, he might DJ at the show on Saturday. You know what I'm saying? But then the <laughs> kid that came here from hip hop camp, might go to show choir camp and be like, yo, I think I'm going to rap Hamilton in their show on Friday. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the type of stuff that, that winds up happening. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully you have all links there. If you know a student that you think would want to come to hip hop camp, please send them. Um, we have some scholarship options available. It's a week from July, excuse me, from June 26th to July 2nd. Um, and if you're an educator, it's a transformative experience. We actually had our symposium a couple of years ago. And we're talking about bringing it back this year where there were so many educators that didn't understand how we were able to teach this to students because they, you know, a lot of like, especially music teachers, they think, you know, in terms of like principles and rules and really like hip hop is project-based learning. You see what I'm saying? It's project-based learning at its best because they do a show at the end. You see what I'm saying? And so when I started doing, when I started not only making music and then started teaching students how to make music, project-based learning became like my lifeline. And I was glad I understood how to do it. But that's how life works, right? We're not doing stuff for the sake of doing it. We're doing it to get to an end of some type. So um, please send your students to Hip Hop Camp. I love it. And we talked about how this show that we do is all the educators we have on are nominated by people who think that, you know, you're doing awesome work. Always find out that the people that we talk to, these teachers like you, tend to have someone in your life who inspired you in the same way. So I'm curious, who comes to your mind when we talk about just, you know, teachers both formally and informally that made a huge impact on you? I got to pick one or I can pick a few. You can pick a few, as many All as right. you want. Let's start with Dr. Uh, Wendy Gardner in Chicago at National Lewis University. He used to say, uh, see clarity and assume positive intent. Um, I had a mental illness about right after I graduated with my master's and, it, and, it, and, and dealing with that and going to therapy, it helped me just see a lot about myself. And I remember when I got to Dr. Gardner's class, I had a giant chip on my shoulder because what it, what everybody had taught me was a black man of my size, really supposed to be an athlete, has no business in higher ed classrooms. You see what I'm saying? So hey, I'm ready to attack anything, meet anything with aggression. And she was like, I, I want you here. You're welcome here. I was like, I have no problem with you. And she said, seek clarity and assume positive intent. And it has been such a guiding principle in dealing in life. And it's a way that I can reset myself, you know what I'm saying? And dealing with all types of people. Cause you know, I'm in academia, you know, that's one culture. I'm in the music industry, that's another culture. I'm in central Illinois, that's another culture, but then I'd be pilgrimage. Uh, I guess I guess commuting would be the proper phrase. I commute down to Atlanta. You know what I mean? It's, it's a joke. Like I go from, I go, I come back to Illinois for a specific set of reasons. And I go back down to Atlanta for a specific set of reasons, but there's also always some kind of fringe reasons for it. And one of my fringe reasons for making sure I get back down to Atlanta is just being around more black people. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I mean, talk about being a, you know, an educator and being a black man. I think it was the statistics, like less than 2% of all educators are black men. To my understanding, K-12 is less than 1%. Right. And then yep. I want to say for higher academia, it's like just above 1%. Yeah, so like exactly. I'm a minority, minority, right? 
Um, and so, you know, just in, you know, finding ways to find my peace, finding my purpose, Dr. Gardner and that phrase, and, and she made me a good teacher too, you know, backwards design, the whole nine. It's why I can teach beats. You know what I mean? It's why I was able to look at my process and be like, oh, this is how I learned to make beats. Um, Dr. Cruz is weird because, well, I took Dr. Cruz's classes. I mean, he's, it's weird because um, he's, he's got a PhD, but we're supposed we're like peers, so to speak, but mm -hmm. they don't have a PhD in what I do. But he and I were just talking about that. We, we worked at a Glen Bard East high school uh, week before last. They're doing a music festival where their students are performing. And so we are working with their students, just kind of helping them get ready, get their acts together. And so on the way up, we had this conversation about, well, how do I get a PhD? Wendell Patrick Harris, I'm trying to remember, I think he's at Harvard. Um, I want to say Ninth Wonder is a Harvard fellow, and he also teaches at North Carolina A&T, and I believe he did some work at Duke, right? Like, who would I go learn from and get my PhD? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and so he and I, he's like my mentor, right? He's the one who recruited me to come here. We co-founded Hip Hop Camp together. We have so much more work to do and work that we are doing. I just had a meeting with him before. We talked about Hip Hop Camp. We spent the whole time talking about how can we give more scholarships away to Hip Hop Camp? because it costs $800 to send a student to hip hop camp. Please, if you're listening to this, please email me. Hold on, Holden at illinois.edu. Please sponsor a kid. It costs, it costs, I think $125 for a local student to commute and it costs $800 for a student to stay overnight. Please give money because we need students to come to hip hop camp and not everybody can afford to come. So let's finish off Lamont with just a couple quick rapid fire questions before we get out of here, which is, first of all, when it comes to teaching, what's something about teaching that you think is more important than people might realize or you just wish more people talked about it when they had these conversations? Um, I think so. This is this is going to be for everybody, but particularly for other educators. Right. Um, you're not the expert. You're the facilitator. I got some students that know more about me than engineering. So, you know what I do? I give them chances to practice, pay practice if I can. And then I was going to say same thing, but this time about creativity or music could be you know more broadly about creativity or just about music something that you think is more important than people might realize people don't understand how music functions in their life and particularly people who are trying to be producers every song is not popped at every song is not um you know, throwing money in the club mm -hmm. there's there's music you mow the lawn to there's music you clean the house to there's music certainly that you drink and party to Right. There's music right. you skate to. Understand like what music you like, what is its purpose in your life? This is why so I also have a playlist on Spotify. And not to just not to just shamelessly plug everything I do, but when I we got a power strip, you can plug away. <laughs> but well, okay, so to so say that, but I, that all that is to say is like I do things for a reason, right? One of the reasons I develop playlists is because it helps to um it helps to kind of like, for me personally, but then I lead by example and show other people how to consume, how you like, what is your taste in music? Like I try to be a tastemaker, you know what I'm saying? I try to find new music from places that, you know, when you get on that, that playlist, there's gonna be five songs in there you love that you didn't know about that are from source, from source you couldn't have even found without a tastemaker or a curator, you see what I'm saying? And so I try to make it so like, this is the playlist I put on if I'm gonna ride my bike or if I'm gonna head across campus or go grocery shopping or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like. Um, you know, I think that people just have to understand how music, especially music producers and, and, and people who call themselves wanting to like entertain people, right? Um, understand like, what is the purpose of this record? What am I gonna use? When I hear this record, like what am I gonna be doing while I'm listening to this record? And I think that becomes more of a guiding creative principle for musicians. Perfect, and then the last one is just, 
What's uh, so some piece of advice that you have for not just you know people that want to work in the music industry, but just for people that want to get more in touch with their creativity? Well, first of all, if you're going to confront somebody and slap them on national TV, be a legend. That's one. <laughs> yeah, be winning that night. <laughs> Make sure you win if you're going to do that. <laughs> I dream of being oh, so successful, God. I could walk up in the middle of the Oscars, slap the dog mess out of somebody, and go comfortably sit back down. I know I've arrived. And they still, and they still hand you a trophy. <laughs> they still hand you. So I know I've arrived. Oh. And then, because. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I've been waiting to get there. Ask the question again. <laughs> All right, back to the question. Back to the yeah, question. Uh, just any advice you have for people trying to get more in touch with their creativity if you're not being nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards? Um, yeah. Um, get to know yourself. Get to, get to know yourself. Get to know um, what is your best creative space. Like, this is going to sound nuts. <laughs> I know I'm going to really dive deep into making a beat. I might know the night before because I'm going to wake up is going to be some incense. I'm going to make sure the house is clean. I got this lavender spray that I like to mess with. I spray around the house, maybe a couple Love of lavender. Get some tea together. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, I might medicate a little bit with legal state. So, and then like, but one, I know the reason I know the night before is because I'm at my best creatively in the morning. Right. But I'm not everybody. Some people are at their best creatively in the middle of the night, even if they've been up for two days. I gotta be fresh. I gotta be fresh, like, and I gotta have the anxiety free that I care in the world. I mean, all my work gotta be done, all that, right? And then I can get to it and just be lost in the sauce for hours, maybe days, you know what I'm saying? But that's me. And that's, you know, the point I've arrived in my 39 years of just knowing myself, you know what I mean? I'm not you, you gotta know who you are. They gotta know who they are, whoever else, you know what I'm saying? So that, that would be my advice. Know yourself, I love it. Well, Lamont Holden, Professor Lamont Holden, let's give him the proper due. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you for having me. This was fun. This was fun. I just want to remind people, please come find me on Instagram at the letter L Beats, T-H-E-L-E-T-T-E-R-L. Excuse me. T-H-E-L-E-T-T-E-R-L, Beats with an S. Um, I got these the, the Spotify, um, the menu playlist link in there. You got the link in there um, if, if somebody wants to come sign up for Hip Hop Camp. Um, and, and come check us out. Just Google Illinois Hip Hop and you should be able to find us. And someone pay this man for that West Side Gun beat. Hey, come on, come here, <laughs> come get that. Thanks for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on this show. It's how we get great guests like Lamont. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the show, subscribe, leave us a rating, share, whatever you can do. It really does help us get more perspectives like Lamont. Also, please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you like what you hear and want to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find it at WNIJ.org on this episode's webpage. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the amazing music you hear every single episode of this show for several years now. A big thank you to Spencer Tripp for our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.